Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. John 8, 12 through 20. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I testified about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You know neither me nor my father, Jesus answered. If you knew me, you would also know my father. He spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple, but no one sees him because his hour had not yet come. Morning. Come on, y'all get to sleep in a little bit. We can say morning a little louder than that, huh? I didn't get to sleep in. I slept in terror the entire night because I don't know what it is to do church when it snows. Like, I woke up, got here at 4.30, beat the, the snow plow here. Then, then Cody showed up and says, hey, we're not doing this till 11. I was like, oh, good, because I had to four-wheel drive on the entire time. Um, I, I'm from Louisiana, by the way. If you don't know that, like, I, before moving here, I've never seen anything like this ever. And so this is just everything is new to me. The fact that this many people are here right now, I'm like, why'd you even go outside? You know, oh my goodness. In fact, one of the guys back there said, oh, I didn't have to drive, I could have walked. I was like, then we would have to cut your feet off, you know, because it's so cold. But uh, anyways, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're safe. Uh, and for you guys that are joining us online, because you couldn't get here safely, we're glad you're joining us online. And, and it's exciting to be here. My name's Ernie. I'm the church planning candidate for 2021. We're going to be planting the city of Cincinnati very soon, in a couple of months. That's right. Woo! And we are really excited about that. I want to just give you a short little update we're at. Our staff team is just about full. We have asked Seth Neal to be our part-time worship leader on Sunday morning, and then Seth Jones to be, I know that's confusing, right? We have a worship leader here named Seth. Now we'll have one as our Sunday morning named Seth, and then are also our salt part-timer, Seth Jones, Stephen Jones's brother, to be that too. So just Seth's everywhere. You can only lead worship from Candeo Church if your name's Seth. So if you have a desire to do that, change your name, and then we'll talk to you about it. But we're excited. <laughs> but yeah, the team's filling up, and our launch team's filling up as well. We have over 40 people, around 45 people that are so far committed, and we feel like there's still many people that God wants to add to that number. And we're going to start launch team meetings on February 7th, next Sunday. And those are for people 
that have committed are those who are just like, I am really heavily considering that. So if we don't know that you're really heavily considering that, it'd be great to talk to you about that so that you can get the information about how we could help seek out God's calling in your life, maybe to be a part of that. But we, our team is fired up. We're excited to be there. We're so thankful for the Church of Candeo that has partnered with us and loved us and cared for us over even this difficult time of COVID. Uh, we just can't imagine a better church to send us out. And so I'm excited to look at this passage with you this morning. And uh, before we look into it, I, I texted out to a group of young guys on staff that I meet with regularly. And I asked them a question. I asked them a question. I was like, hey, what is a statement or something that's been true that you've heard that kind of changed your life in a real way, just changed the trajectory of your life? And of course, through the fashion of the guys that are there, the first one I can't say because it's too inappropriate. And then the second one was quoting the office. In fact, they were kind of turning the question back onto me in which Michael Scott, any office fans here? Who's mad at Netflix? They're the worst, all right? They've gotten rid of the office. My wife calls it my, my uh, safety blanket because I used to watch it and fall asleep. Life's heavy. The office is light. It's fun to laugh. And so I, would, I do that pretty regularly. But he quoted this office in which Michael asked the same question. He says, what's the most inspiring thing I've ever said to you? I thought it was so funny that Michael said it that way. Not that he's assuming that he's already said something magnificent. He's like, which one? And Dwight responds, don't be an idiot changed my life. <laughs> he said, whenever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that thing? And if he would, I do not do that thing. That's what they said to me in response. I thought it was hilarious. Couldn't stop laughing. But then there were some serious ones that came in. One guy said this. He said, hey, this is words from my mom. Um, no godly girl is looking for an ungodly man. He talked about, he said, hey, those words really marked who I was. One said about a mentor, like him said, you're going to be a great pastor. And it went from his wife that said, I love you. That was a marking word for him. That was a statement that was true that transformed how he lived his life. And me hearing this, seeing all this stuff, this is just a few of them coming from the guys. I got the bright idea to ask Laura that question in hopes to kind of Michael Scott it, but a little bit more open. Like, hey, what's something that was said to you that transformed or changed your life, some truth, some real thing, something that changed the trajectory of your life. And she looked me in my eyes, took a deep breath, smiled, and said, mommy drive through at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and you ladies that know what this is, you know that's a big deal. And you that don't, you're about to get the price admission right here. Just take this to the bank, okay? Because what mommy drive through at Chick-fil-A is, is amazing. You drive up to Chick-fil-A with all your kids in the car. They are strapped to the seat so they can't run away from you in the parking lot. You order your food. You pay for your food. You say those magical words, I'm doing mommy drive through And they go, okay. You park your car. Some of you moms are nodding your head going, that is the best thing she could have said to you. You park your car and you walk in and magically the food is on the table waiting for you and you don't have to wait in that line and chase that two-year-old around while you're trying to order food. It's just right there. Isn't that magical? You'll see as soon as they let us back in there again. You're going to try it, I promise you. If you don't, you're going to be missing out. 
No, she didn't say it to me. She actually said this. She actually said, will you marry me? And I was very like, yes, got it. Woof, made the quote book. But why am I talking about this? Because I believe that there's some statements, there's some truths that when you bump into them, they transform the trajectory of your life. They're meant to change everything about you. In fact, what we're gonna be looking at in John 8, 12 is one of those statements. It's the second I am statement that Jesus makes in the book of John, in which he says this, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the life, the light of life. Guys, this statement is so important. It transformed the history books. Because what Jesus is saying about himself, we change the way that we date our calendar because this is true about Jesus. It has transformed kingdoms, people's lives, millions of people's lives for 2,000 years. It's a really big deal. And here's the thing, I believe that if we can grasp and understand what Jesus is really saying in this statement, in light of the context of which he's saying it, it will transform the way that we live our life on a daily basis. That if we can understand what Jesus is saying here, is that when he says this, I'm gonna explain it in a little bit, but he's saying these three things, that he's the presence of God, that he's the leading of God, and that he's the provision of God for us. Three amazing truths that will transform us. So I want us to read through this passage again because I wanna give a little bit of commentary and we're gonna talk about those three things. But first, let's pray. Can we do that? Let's do it. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for these men and women that have showed up here. Thank you for their desire to grow and hear your voice. Lord, I ask that you would speak clearly to them, that you'd remove all the distractions, all the things that are pulling them away and the word of God would come promptly up and we would hear what it is saying and how it's testifying about who you are. And that would begin to nudge about how, who we should be and what we should be and what we should be about. God, that we would leave transformed and changed not because of music or a speaker or an illustration, but because we've encountered the living God and heard his words spoken this morning in the word of God. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. Amen. We're gonna be in John chapter eight, starting verse 12, and it starts out like this. Jesus spoke to them. He said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you are testifying about yourself and your testimony is not valid. What they're saying to him in this moment, just a little bit of context within Jewish tradition, within Jewish, of, of figuring out, hey, if what you're saying is true, they're saying, hey, if you make a claim, there needs to be somebody that backs up that claim. Very similar to what our news should do today. They should make a claim, put it in paper and have sources to back it up. That doesn't always happen, but that's what's meant to happen here as well in script, here as well in Jewish culture. And they're saying, hey, you're saying this really big statement, Jesus, but you're only saying it by yourself. So it's not valid. We're not gonna listen to you. And then Jesus responds to him like this. He says, even if I testify about myself, Jesus replies, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I came from or I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. 
With Jesus' response to him is saying, I don't need a second person to testify on my behalf because of who I am. When he says, hey, you don't know where I'm coming from or where I'm going, he's not talking about like, you know that you came from your house and you're gonna get lunch at this place and I don't know that. He's talking about a greater perspective that he has because of who he is as the light of the world. That he has a perspective that they don't have. In fact, he looks at him and says, your perspective is you judge things in a human way. You judge them superficially. I don't judge that way. I don't look at that things that way. I don't need the same things, the same accountability that you need because of who I am. And at 16, he, fin- he continues on and says, and if I do judge, my judgment is true because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it is written that t- the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Jesus is saying, even if you want another one to testify on my behalf, all you have to do is look at the Father because he says the same thing that I say about me. Isn't that clear that when we look in scripture, that it clearly points to who Jesus is over and over and over again. One of my favorite books to look at is the book of John. I love looking at it with people who are searching out who Jesus is or learning who Jesus is. I remember I was looking at the word of God, this book, John, we got to this chapter with one of my friends before he was a believer, looking at it, asking two questions. What does the Bible say Jesus is? Who does it say Jesus is? And do I believe it? That was the only questions we were dealing with. And we met week after week after week. And by week eight, even though he was not a professing Christian, he began to laugh as he read some of these phrases because it's like, it's so clear who Jesus is saying who he is. It's so clear. There he is saying it again and again and again and again. You can see very clearly what the word of God testifies to who Jesus is, not only in his own words, but through the revelation of scripture from the beginning to the end. Jesus says, I don't, if you need a second testimony, great, go to my father. And their response to him is, who is your father? It's a slander. They're like, oh, we've heard about you, Jesus of Nazareth. Virgin birth. Okay. So who is your dad? Do you even know who your dad is? And his response to them is the truth. He looks at these religious, uptight, people who have memorized all the things about God, but don't know God. Says, you know, neither me nor my father. Jesus answered, if you knew me, you would also know my father. It's like, you don't understand these things. You pretend to know God, but you don't know him. Because if you knew him, you would know me. You would see that the testimony of scripture is clearly pointing to me from the beginning to the end. Even in this statement, it is clearly pointing to him. And 20 is important because it gives us the backdrop of this statement. He spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple but no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Did they want to? Yes. Could they? No. Because he's fully in control. Now here's the question. Why are they so frustrated by what Jesus has said? Why is that so 
divisive? Why did that anger them so much? I think the context of which he said this gives light to the weight of what he's saying. See, because the context of this is that he's saying this during the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles celebrated the first gathering of the fruits and grains of the harvest. As farmers, as people in Iowa, some of us are farmers, we know what that's like. When the food comes in, when the harvest comes in, it's time to celebrate. It's time to get excited. But it didn't just celebrate God providing that way, but they were also celebrating a greater provision in which God provided for them in the wilderness journey from Egypt to the promised land. See, a big part of this celebration, you cannot miss this, If you're gonna see the weight and understand why when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it's a really big deal. Because a big part of this celebration was that there was a lamp lighting ceremony and every evening during the festival, a priest would light three torches on lampstands in the treasury of the temple. And these lights would illuminate the entire compound, the entire place. And holy people would show up and they would light their own torches and they would dance and party throughout the night, celebrating, yes, God's provision now, but celebrating a greater provision that they remember which God provided for them when they were in the wilderness. And are you like, what's the significance between the torches? What's, what, what's, the, what's the connection there? Well, you have to understand the Exodus story Maybe if you're not familiar with it, here's a brief picture of it. Is that when God used Moses to to free his people from the enslavement of Egypt and after they had crossed the Red Sea, God led his people through the wilderness by a cloud over during day and a pillar of fire by night. See, that pillar of fire was a representation of three things to the Israelites. One, it was a representation of God's presence being with them. In fact, in Exodus 38, you can see that when God, when they were, when God was in the tabernacle, in the place, the dwelling place of God, that the, 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 the pillar of fire would rest over it, showing the weight of God's presence actually being there. It was a physical thing for them to look at and say, the presence of God, God is with us. But it was also a picture of his leadership because it only went, they only went where it went. Wherever that thing moved, that's where they would go. It was a picture, Israel, follow God like you followed him in the wilderness. It was a picture of his provision because where did God lead them? To the promised land. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world and he's standing on the backdrop of this festival that's celebrating this pillar of fire that led the people of Israel through the wilderness. There's nothing ambiguous about what he's saying at that moment. He's looking at them and saying, hey, the thing you are celebrating now, the light that led you through that dark time in the wilderness to bring you to the promised land, which was God, that was me. In fact, it was a foreshadowing of a greater rescue to come. It was a picture for you to celebrate of a greater rescue where where I'm not gonna just be the leader that was there that moved day to day, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit that's gonna rest inside you and lead you you throughout the rest of your life. That I'm not just gonna gonna be a picture of fire, but I'm gonna be the actual, I'm the actual presence of God right here in front of you. That I'm not just gonna provide for you a physical geographical kingdom, 
but an eternal kingdom that deals with not just the biggest, your, your biggest problem, not just homelessness or not having a place, but homelessness from God and relationship with God that because of the separation that sin has caused us, caused us to be separated from him. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, of course it's offensive to the Jews. Because they're looking at him and saying, you're not God. God is the light of the world. We don't follow you, we follow God. We're not in darkness, we have the law. And Jesus is saying, no, you're missing it. I am the presence of God in front of you right now. I am the leadership that you should follow. I am the provision for your biggest issue. But they don't see any of those things. And here's my question to you this morning. Who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus the presence of God? Is he the leadership of your life? Is he the provision for your biggest problem? Let me talk a little bit more about that. When I talk about, is Jesus the presence of God? Meaning when you look at Jesus, do you see the Father? Do you see what John 1 talks about where the word became flesh and dwelt among men? Do you see the incarnation? Do you see the oneness? Look at verse 19 in this passage. He even says it here. After they slander him, what has he said? You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Jesus points to the inseparable relationship between the two. That you can't have one without having the other. In fact, he would say it like this in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Because when we talk about Jesus being the presence of God, guys, we're talking about him being God. Now just stop for a second. How amazing is that? Is that when God sees his people in need, he doesn't send a representative. He sends himself. How personal how amazing, how good, how great is our God that when he sees you in the darkest of pits in the furthest distance because of your sin, he doesn't send a prophet, an example, a holy person. He sends himself. And when it comes to this situation, it had to be him. Jesus has to be God. Because only God could have dealt with our sin problem. You understand it? Only God could have bore our sins, defeated death and sin, and exchanged our life with his. Do you understand that? Like when Jesus died for you, what makes it so amazing is 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God that he stepped in our place, took the punishment for us. And because of that, now God looks at us and, and, and accredits us 
the life that Jesus lived as if we lived it. Guys, I can't die for you. It's not an acceptable sacrifice. In the same way, someone who's sitting on death row can't die for all the other people on death row. Why? Because they're already convicted to death. They're already guilty. What life do they have to switch? It had to be Jesus. It has to be the presence of God. Is Jesus, when you look at Jesus, is he God? Or is he a good example, a teacher? Something that kind of illuminates the truth that's worthy of note. Or is he God Almighty that put on flesh, dwelt amongst men to reconcile us to him? That should change your life. What about this? Is Jesus the leader of your life? What position does he hold? What seat does he sit in on your heart? Is he an advisor? Do you want him to just be a life coach? Do you want him to just deal with certain problems? God, just get my kids to college without being pregnant or hooked on drugs. God, just fix this marriage. Guys, God did not come to earth so that he could be your life coach. He did not die on the cross so that he can be an advisor that you would live any way that you want and he'd help you pick the right road. He came to earth that he would be your leader. That in the same way God led Israel through the wilderness, he wants to lead you today. And he can do those things. He can heal your marriage. He can help guide your kids. But he wants to be so much more than that. And he should be because of who he is. Is he the director of your life? Examine your hearts. In your heart, does your heart cry out like Paul when he sees who Jesus is? He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's hard. I'm gonna be honest, there's so many times my heart doesn't say that. But I wanna press towards that. And it's a hard pill to swallow. Why? Because... When it comes to the most important things, we don't wanna let go of control of those things, right? Like we can let go of things that don't matter, but when it comes to heart things, our life, our plans, our future, we're like, uh, I think those are best done in my hands right here. <laughs> I think I have a better idea. And I love saying the things that I can't let go of out loud because when I say them out loud, I realize how foolish I'm being. So let me get this straight, Ernie. Your plan for your life is better than the plan that the guy that died for you and knows everything, is in control and is God of all creation. He has, you have a better plan for your life than he does. Nope. <laughs> so many times I'm like, okay, yeah, I hear you. 
but we don't want to give up freedom. I loved what Jake said last week when he talked about a fish being out of water, how it's not free from the water. It's actually in rebellion against its design. I find my life so much like that, that when I'm not allowing Jesus, when I'm not following Jesus, when I'm not letting him be the leader of my life, I'm just living in rebellion to what God has designed me to do, which is follow him. You think a fish is having more fun in water or out of water? That's so much of my life. Third question, is Jesus the provision for your life? That just as God was leading the people of Israel to the promised land, Jesus is here saying to them, I want to lead you to a greater promised land. I want to lead you to it, not just a geographical castle or a place, not just a house or whatever future you have in your mind where you'd like Jesus to take you, maybe financial freedom, maybe a spouse. I don't know. Jesus is saying, I have a better picture. I want to lead you to a place of eternal rest and right relationship with me in heaven. That's the promised land that I have. Look at what he says. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will walk in the light of life. We're going to talk about what that means in a minute. But where does he say he plans to lead us? To life. Where are you hoping that Jesus will take you? What are you looking for to provide your deepest and greatest needs? What are you trusting in? Those are three really important questions that are implications of this statement that Jesus made about himself. And all three are necessary. Is he the presence of God? Is he your leader? And is he the provision? Because if you miss one, this is how it goes. If you have, if Jesus is the presence of God and he's your leader, but he's not the provision, then Jesus is just a life coach. He's just trying to tell you a better way to live. Lots of people blog. You can just look them up on the internet, okay? They have videos. You don't have to read anymore. If he's the presence of God, I mean, if he's the provision of God and the leader for you, but isn't the presence, if he isn't actually God, then you can't trust it. Because then it's just some guy that died for you and did some great things, but how can you trust what he's doing? If he's the presence plus the provision, but, but uh, not the leadership, then you're a wayward child, Right? If I believe that Jesus was the presence of God, if I believe that he was the provision of God to right the wrongs that I couldn't right, but he's not my leader, then you're a wayward child. You don't live in what is meant to live in, that God, the life that God has for you that starts now for eternity. All three are important. And we only see that these three are important when we follow God into this thing, this is what I was about to talk about it, the light of life. Where is Jesus leading us to? Not into darkness, but the light of life. What does that mean? I believe it means this, that God wants to turn on the lights 
to your spiritual eyes to see the reality around you. That when God is your leader, when he's the provision, when he's the presence of God, when he's those things, it turns on the light to your spiritual eyes to see the reality of what's around you. Remember what he said to the Pharisees? He said, you don't see me. You don't know where I come or I go. You judge superficially. I believe that God wants to turn on the light in our lives that we would see him for who he really is. And when the light is on, isn't it easier? Look, I got up at four this morning. It was like walking around downstairs, not to wake up my family. I stepped on so many Legos that I would have missed. I thought so many chairs were people in the house trying to kill me. If the light's on, am I stepping on things? <laughs> Do I think a chair is somebody that's trying to you know, steal stuff from my house, a person? No, I don't. Because I see the reality of what is around us. And I believe what Jesus wants to do is not that we would follow him blindly in faith, but as we follow him, he would illuminate reality as we see it and stop us from stepping in the pits that we would step in. And he would stop us from like saying, oh, is that God there? He doesn't want to be a foreshadow or a shadow. He wants us to clearly see who he is and clearly follow who he is and clearly live into the life that God's called us to live in. He doesn't want to, be a he doesn't want to see us as a shadow himself. He wants to enlighten us to the reality of what it is to walk in the light. Here's the last question. I'm gonna leave you with this. If Jesus is the presence, the leader, and the provision of God for the world, what does that mean for you? See, one of the sentences that would have frustrated them so much is that they're like, no, 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 we know you're not the Messiah because the Messiah would said, you, I am the light of Israel, not the light of the world. Israel did not really care for the people around them. In fact, they saw the other nations as something to be judged by God. They saw themselves as better than others, but God was concerned with the nations, even from the beginning, even at this moment. He says, hey, I am here for the world. Guys, the presence of God was not revealed to humanity through Jesus. The provision for us to be in a relationship was not revealed through Jesus. The leadership of God is not given us through the person of Jesus so that it would end with us in this room. It is meant to flow in us and through us to other people because God is concerned about your neighbor. He's concerned about your boss. He's concerned about the people that live across the street from you, that vote differently, that look differently, that act differently. He's considered about, concerned about people in Cincinnati and China and all around the world. He cares about them. And if God has transformed us so crazily, how can we remain the same? We are not this different from these people. You want to know a fact that makes me sick to my stomach? 98% of evangelical Christians will never share the gospel with anybody outside their family. We are not that different from these people, these Pharisees. I wish we were. But Peter figured it out. He connected what God did and who he was to who we were meant to be. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, where Peter says this, 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. That is your identity as a Christ follower. That is who Jesus had made you. That you were not a people, but now you're God's people. You had once not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. But why? Look at the middle of nine. That, the word that is a purpose phrase. That means that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God did not reveal the light of who he is to you so that it would stay with you. But it's meant to go to the world. So here's the thing I'm going to leave you with right here. Do you need to trust in Jesus? That in his presence, that he was the son of God. That he wasn't just a holy person. Is that a step you need to take this morning? Do you need to trust in his provision that what he has done is enough that you need to stop trying to pay for your own sins? Do you need to trust in his leadership that whatever plan God has for you is better than the plan you have for yourself? Do you need to ask the question, God, if you care about the world, where are you sending me? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this time together to read your word, to make much of you. God, thank you that that statement is absolutely true, that you are the light of the world, not just for us, but of the world that you are exactly what you needed and you are leading us out of darkness into the light of life. God, God I, what does that look like in our life? Personally, right now. I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you, you didn't have to do that, but you did because of who you are. Lord, I ask that we would stop playing around in the dark and we'd start following your lead out of those dark crevices and places in our life. And wherever you're taking us, Lord, that we would go, that we'd trust you as our provision. We'd trust you as our leader. We'd trust you because you're the presence of God given to us. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.